This is an EM Pulse Heartbeat with your host, Julia Magana. We are back and again, honored and privileged to be sitting here with Nate Cooperman. Nate, we've introduced you several times before, but can you run over your credentials and your roles here at UC Davis? Sure. It's great to be here again. And uh, I am a pediatric emergency physician here at UC Davis, and I'm a service chair of the Department of Emergency Medicine here at UC Davis. So we're back because we have another interesting study that looks at another aspect of the PCARN TBI rule. I think that we're all familiar with the PCARN TBI rule and that helps physicians make evidence-based decisions when it comes to head CTs. And just on September 21st, JAMA Network Open published the effect of head CT choice decision aid in parents of children with minor head trauma. One of the reasons why I love working at UC Davis is getting to be at the ground level of these really cool studies. And I remember when I first got hired on here, one of like my first shifts, they were like, okay, you're going to be a participant in the study and you have been randomized to be one of the emergency medicine providers who gets to have this cool decision tool. And they showed me this beautiful sheet, which we're going to have online, which you can see. And uh, they instructed me that I was going to be able to use this when I go in and talk to patients that don't fall into the obviously you need a head CT bucket or the obviously you don't need a head CT bucket. But those patients where it's like, ah, maybe you have one or two lower risk factors. And here's this beautiful decision aid to be able to illustrate your examples and illustrate your discussion with the family and shared decision making. And then they videotaped us, which was always slightly awkward. <laughs> and then they also, or at times they recorded, and then they surveyed us and they also surveyed the families afterwards, which made me feel a little bit nervous about them like being like, oh, how was your doctor talking to them? <laughs> but I, and I really enjoyed using the tool, so I felt like it was definitely worthwhile. And then I was excited to see this get published on September 21st and found out that you guys did find this tool was helpful. And I think the results showed that those that had the tool had a better understanding of the risks and had less decisional conflict. They also felt more involved in the decision, the families did. And interestingly, though, the CT rate did not change initially or at seven days, but in those that had the decision tool at seven days out, there was overall less imaging, but that was mostly because of C-spine and other x-rays, not because of the CT scan. Is that a fair summary, Nate? Yeah, that's a fair summary. The only thing I would add is the other benefit of the tool is besides those aspects of care that were enhanced by use of the tool, also the trust in the physician was another component that was significantly higher in those patients that were randomized to use the tool. Oh, that's super interesting. I missed that aspect. Tell us, why did you decide to look at shared decision-making? Um, why is this important in medicine now? First, I'm going to say that uh, this multicenter trial was just another study that we have done on figuring out how is the best way to implement the PCARN head injury TBI rules. The PI of the study, just I want to put it out there, was my good colleague and friend Eric Hess at Mayo Clinic, and I was the senior collaborator working with him to develop it. But it was uh, a study in which was conducted in Minnesota at several places, the Mayo Clinic and a few other places, and at UC Davis and also at Nationwide Hospital and at Boston Children's. But the reason that we did the study is the PCARN TBI rules, they were really created 
to identify those children who do not need CT scans after minor head trauma. And that's a big bucket. And that was more than 50% of the patients in the study. So those patients are easy. You really don't, you don't talk about CT scans. You just don't get it. And that is, you don't get the CT scan because it's not indicated with, you know, rare exception. There are six factors in the PCARN TBI rules that determine the risk of the child. And as you know, Julia, we have one tool for children younger than two and another for those two years and older. Well, two risk factors are higher risk factors for which you would likely get the CT scan. And so we also don't engage in discussion with the parents about you know, whether we should or shouldn't, because those children typically should get the CT. And if you don't have any of the six factors altogether, you shouldn't. And that's about two-thirds of the patients. But a third of the patients are in this bucket where the risk is not zero. It's low, but the risk still exists. And all clinicians and all families have different sensibilities, trade-offs, values about whether they want to expose a child to radiation but get the CT or not. So this is true in a lot of aspects of medicine. When the decision is not clear, then we should be engaging patients or in the pediatric case, their families, in discussions of the trade-offs. And this differs from a generation ago or even when I was uh, trained where we had a much more paternalistic or maternalistic approach to patient care that We just, you know, said, we think we should do this, and we did this, whether there was really good evidence around it or not. And there's been a gradual shift in medicine in the last decades, when, particularly when the evidence is not clear, to really engage patients. And I think it really started in cancer care, uh, because in treating cancers, there's frequently lots of different options to approach a particular malignancy. And... Also, there's lots of time to sit and discuss uh, with patients. And so this uh, notion of shared decision-making has been around for quite a while in cancer care and has been now around a while for lots of different conditions. But in the emergency department setting, it's not really been around very long because in the ED, it's a chaotic setting. We don't have a lot of time to sit and engage in a formal way. And Eric Hess, my uh, colleague, the PI of the study, he probably is the pioneer of using shared decision-making. He's a general emergency physician, and he first studied uh, it in, um, in adults with chest pain and looking at decisions around diagnostic tools in chest pain. So we thought in the pediatric TBI rule, wow, we know what to do with those that don't have any risk, and we know what to do with those at higher risk. But we got this bucket of children that we really don't know what to do with that are, we call it at low to intermediate risk. And those are those that have either one or two of the, what we call the non-high risk factors of the PCARN TBI rules. So we thought, wow, we should really formally study shared decision-making in that group of patients. Yeah, that makes sense. Nate, when you're making the choice to engage shared decision-making, what are some of the factors that go into it, and what are some of the pieces that make us successful as clinicians when we do do shared decision-making? Right. So shared decision-making is certainly most successful when you have a very willing and interested parent. There are some parents that really would rather abdicate the decision 
to the clinician and say, Doc, you decide. You're the doctor. You tell me what to do. You decide. You need a a willing parent that's uh, willing to engage. And you know, beyond that, there's lots of reasons why to do shared decision making, particularly with visual aids. When you're talking about numerical risks of outcome, and we know in even this middle risk bucket, if you have this or that symptom, I can tell you what more or less is the exact risk of having a brain injury. But that number is hard for a lot of people to put their head around. And so having a visual aid to assist with that shared decision-making is very helpful. And Eric had shown that in his previous study with chest pain. So we thought, hmm, this is a big population. It's not been studied in children. And we have a diagnostic quandary in a lot of these children. So I mean, that's the reason we, we created it. But I guess back to your question of, of what makes a, a good dynamic or a good patient-parent dyad for this. And it's really a willing participant who is interested in gaining knowledge, learning more about the condition, because we do that a lot when we do shared decision-making. Because I had said before that the ED is a very chaotic place. So on one hand, it, it makes it hard to sit down and discuss things. But on the other hand, using shared decision-making with you know these visual aids, it's a way that we have to really engage patients. Because in the emergency department, as you know, most patients that we see, we've never seen them before. And we're likely never going to see them again. So we don't have great opportunities to sit and engage and connect in a meaningful way. Using shared decision-making in a more formal manner, like we did in this study, with the uh, visual aid, promotes a more nice dialogue, to a chance to engage your patient in a way that we don't do otherwise. And what it does, it really, it's not asking the parent, what do they want? It's really engaging them in a discussion. So first of all, that they're educated about the condition. And secondly, we can really understand their values in a way that help us come to a joint decision. So it's not the parent making the decision, it's really coming to a sort of communal decision based on the values of both the parent, and I'm saying parent because typically these are young children that wouldn't engage, and the clinician. So that's really the power of shared decision-making. But to be clear, two things that shared decision-making is not. It's not abdicating the responsibility for the decision to the parent. It's really just engaging them in a mutual uh, discussion and decision. And it's not to protect against liability risk. You know, some people think, oh, you do that because then you can write in the chart, oh, parent wanted X. That's not why we do it. We do it because we respect the autonomy of patients and we want to educate them and we want them to be engaged in the decision when a decision is not clear. Yeah, I think that's really beautifully said. I think of the emergency department also as a somewhat orchestrated chaos environment. And there's probably no greater time in a patient's life when they've lost more control than they're in the emergency department, right? It's not a planned visit. They're not there because they want to be there. Whatever's going on in their life, it's concerning them enough that they're at a they're they're at an odd time in life and they've lost control. And so it's just a little piece of allowing them to have that control, you know, just like when we examine a child and you're like, should I do your right ear first or your left ear first, right? It gives them one more piece where it doesn't really matter if it's right or left. There's no right or wrong answer to this. And it gives that parent some of that control. You know, you are so right, Julia. I think that one of the powers of this tool and the the, the big positive results we had around it was all about that. They feel more educated. They felt more engaged. They 
they felt more trust in the physician because for the exact reason that you said, I think you stated it really nicely, is that we are turning over some control back to the patient in an environment which people feel kind of helpless and out of control. So I think you are totally, totally right on that. Nate, how do you and Eric kind of envision this to be best deployed? Like now that we've shown that this is helpful, this helps parents with their confidence in making the decisions and providers are pleased with it as well. What does this look like on a day-to-day? Does this get integrated into EMR? Do we have it at bedside? The decision aid, which you guys hopefully will post on your uh, website, the first thing it does is it gives a pictorial assessment of the risk of a brain injury in their child, instead of giving the number, I mean, we give the number, but we show what that number looks like visually. Now, unfortunately, one sheet doesn't cover all children because everyone has a different bit of a different risk. So it depends on the signs and symptoms based on the PCARN brain injury rules, what the risk is. So we have several of these sheets that will fit different buckets of children, children at different risk. The, the second part, I'm just explaining the, the sheet first, and then I'll talk about the deployment. The second is we have a, a, a visual showing them what a head CT scan looks like versus what would observation be, which would be observation for a period in the emergency department, followed by some observation at home. And then finally, we walk through the trade-offs in six different categories between getting a CAT scan versus observing, so that the parent really gets a sense of, A, the risk their child has, and B, what really are the differences between the options? Now, the best way to get this in the hands of the clinician and parent, in my mind, it's going to have to be electronic. I mean, we could have oh, the wall with you know a bunch of racks with this is the sheet for the child with this symptom, this is the sheet for the child with that symptom. That is how we did it in the research study. We had a research coordinator with the appropriate sheet based on the symptoms of the child. But to deploy it real time, There's two possible ways I see it. One, as you know, at UC Davis, we have the little TBI icon. That is when a child comes in with head trauma, this icon pops up or you can trigger it and you click on the PCARN brain injury risk factors and it'll tell you what the risk the child is. Well, right after that, it would be simple enough for the appropriate decision aid for that child to pop up as well. That is one way, and I think probably the best way for this ultimately to be deployed. Currently, there is a handheld app. They already have the PCAR and head injury rules on their app. That is, you know, you put in the factors and it gives you the risk, but they are interested in also the appropriate decision aid popping up given the child's risk. So it has to be electronic because, as I said before, if it's just a paper on a rack, and the wall of the ED. First of all, we don't have enough wall space in the ED to do that. And secondly, of course, that would be prone to error. You might just grab the wrong sheet as opposed to it being electronically tied to uh, the risk that a computer would spit out. And I think this can act as a model for so many other things. You know, febrile infants, two months to three months of age. You know, I mean, there's so many different areas where we can have this discussion. And we do have these discussions with our families. But having that visual aid would be huge. So we definitely need it to be (laughs) consolidated. You're absolutely right. There are so many conditions. In fact, there's so many conditions in medicine where we definitely know what to do and what not to do, maybe in X percent of the time. But in a big chunk, 
we really don't know. We have some evidence, but it's not clear if we should do X or Y, and we really should be engaging our patients or their parents, depending on the age or both, to help us with that decision in a communal fashion. Yeah, that's awesome, Nate. Anything else you think that we should know? I guess the one thing I would say is people say, oh, this seems like it would take a long time to do it. But in fact, we timed this, and it just takes a handful of minutes. I mean, maybe a minute or two longer than routine care, but routine care, we're not giving as much information. So actually deploying this decision aid, because we video recorded and audio recorded it uh, with each interaction, it just takes several minutes. So it's quite easy to do, and it is a nice way to sit side by side with the parent, guardian, and engage and, and develop a meaningful interaction. Yeah. Again, I used this. I was one of the ones that got to use the decisional aid and it didn't feel like it increased my time. But you're right. It did change the dynamics in that I try to sit down always, but I always had to sit down (laughs) with this just to be a little bit more like on their level for it. Thank you, Nate, so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And now we look forward to talking to you more in the future. Great to be here. You guys are so awesome. So it's always fun to chat with you guys. 